You're listening to That Music Podcast with me, Bryson Tarbett. I'm the music educator and blogger behind That Music Teacher and ThatMusicTeacher.com. Join me as I dive into what it really means to be a music educator. I hope that you're able to find a nugget of inspiration each week as I share my favorite ways to create purposeful instruction through active music making. Along the way, you'll hear from some of my amazing colleagues as they share practical advice that you can apply to your own classrooms. So grab a coffee, sit down, and let's get started. This episode is brought to you by my free guide for general music teachers. The Elementary Music Newbie Guide is perfect for those new to teaching music and those who are looking for a bit of a refresh. This free PDF will guide you through setting goals, determining classroom expectations, making connections, and thinking through classroom procedures. To grab your free copy, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com newbie. That's thatmusicteacher.com N-E-W-B-I-E. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Music Podcast. I'm really excited to be recording this episode in my new studio up in my upstairs and rather than the dungeon that it's been in for the past year. Um, I'm super excited. We're recording this episode live on Facebook, TikTok, and it's going to be recorded on YouTube as well. Today, we're going to be talking about musical assessment and kind of rethinking how we use assessment in the music classroom. I've had a lot of conversations with music teachers over the years about assessment. And I honestly think that there's a lot of things that we get wrong. <laughs> I think that we, we've, especially those that kind of got burnt by the idea of having to use assessment in a way that makes our, our administrators, you know, happy. And that kind of make, can make it really hard and make it hard for us to understand how assessment can be really used to not just add another thing onto our plate, but how we can actually use it to drive our instruction and not just something we use to check off a list on our assessment. So the way that I view assessment is I do so much informal assessment. And I think in the music setting, especially in the elementary music setting, it's really important for us to do a lot of informal assessments. You know, in kindergarten, I'm not going to have the kindergartners do a bunch of worksheets. That's not the best assessment. You know, Maybe every once in a while I might have them do like something where they circle something. But when I'm really, if I, if my goal is to figure out what they know, the idea that assessment has to be this formal type of thing doesn't really work in that aspect. So w- the way that I use assessment, I do constant informal checks. So a lot of what I do and a lot of what we, we as music teachers do is listening and and reacting in the moment to what we're hearing and what we're seeing our students accomplish. The, the step that I, I think we often fail at is taking it one step farther and recording that data. For instance, if I'm playing a game and I, I really want my students to know, um, I want my students to be able to sing a soul me descending pattern or whatever, or whatever the, the actual objective is. If I have students that really want to, if I really want them to have that specific skill down, there are so many different ways that we can practice, so many ways that we can use, and so many different ways that we can assess that same skill. For instance, I we, maybe we'll play, we're playing a game. 
where the students are able to um, sing um, alone with others that same pattern that we want. So let's let's change it up a little bit and say we're doing sol la mi la sol mi so we're working on sol mi la sol mi. So I might ha have the all the kids going doggy doggy where's my bone? Someone stole it from your home. So we have all the students that are able to practice that you know when they're singing that together. But then if you're the doggy doggy, you get to say who stole my bone all alone, and then whoever has the bone gets to say I stole your bone. And within that game, that play-based way, I'm able to say, can that student sing that pattern on their own? Do they need me to help them? Or are they not even close? Are they not even in their head voice? So what I typically do is if, when we're playing a game, I either have my grade book pulled up or I just have like a post-it note and I just write down um, just some names or maybe initials. I'll give them a four if the students are able to sing that pattern without my help, a three if they're able to um, sing that pattern with my help, so basically they're able to echo me, a two is that you is usually if they're in their head voice but they're not necessarily matching the pitch, and then a one is they're not even in their head voice. Um, so that's where I think it can be really easy. You're just writing things down as you go and then putting that in and kind of seeing where that growth is. So that way, if you look at your class and you say, all right, Mrs. Mrs. Miller's class, half of the kids are still at a one then I shouldn't be adding in another melodic note. I should be working on getting them, their, getting them in their head voice, doing more vocal exploration, things like that. So by able to writing it, by being able to write it down, especially if you're doing it in a game-based way that isn't something that's super um, complex or requires a lot of setup or things like that, you're allowing the students to show you what they know in a very low stakes environment, but you're also getting a lot of really good data that's super helpful for making sure that we're moving on when we need to move on and we're spending more time on a concept when the students need more time to be successful. So shifting forward a little bit to some maybe an older group is, you know, if students are able to sight read, all right, if we're working, if we're working on sight reading, so I pull out the Kodai 333s and we're, we're doing um, Do and Ray for, for whatever, let's say we're doing Do and Ray. If I'm doing a whole group sight singing um, thing, example, it can be really hard to understand, you know, what students are being, which students are being successful, which students need a little bit more help, uh, which students are ready for something completely new, ready for, ready for more of a challenge. But by being able to just over the course of time, take notes, even if it's like a mental note and then jotting it down in a post-it note between classes or things like that, we can be able to see which students are able to do this on their own, which students need a little bit more help, and which students aren't even close. And that can be really helpful for us as teachers because, you know, if, if – three quarters of the class aren't even close to grasping the concept, that tells us something about the way that we need to address that. We need to make sure that we're teaching it more. We're looking at coming at it from different angles. We're not just plowing through because, well, it's August or it's October. We need to be at this point, you know? We're really really understanding where the class is and what they need be, to be successful. And by being able to see it all in one aggregate place, where all of our data from our informal things from over the last couple of weeks, even if you're not necessarily ass assessing everyone every day, if you're assessing and going through where eventually, like within a week or so, you'll have every basically the whole class assessment on the same skill, that can be super helpful in guiding our instruction. That is the literally the definition of formative assessment.
I have an embarrassing thing to tell you that, you know, we went through undergrad or I went through undergrad and we talked about formative and summative instruction a lot. And I understood summative. Summative is at the end to see what they learned, right? But I never really understood formative all the way. I knew that it was different than summative, but I, I didn't quite understand it until I started teaching. And when I started teaching, I realized when we say formative, we mean it's not for them. It's for us as teachers. That formative instruction, that formative assessment allows us to know what the students know, what the students need more of, and what the students are done, you know, are like already mastered. And that helps us as the teachers, as the experts, form our instruction to allow the students to show more growth. And when I was able to finally have that aha moment, again, way later than it should have happened, it completely changed the way that I was able to use assessment and use a, da a true data-driven approach in my classroom. We know that administrators love data. That's part of <laughs> that's that's part of what we kind of talk. We talk a lot about data, but data isn't necessarily something just for admin to make them check off a box and make us happy. Admin is something that should really truly guide our instruction that we're able to see growth, see what students need more of, and see what we can do as teachers to change our instruction. Uh, Anne Molesky has a wonderful saying that I. I say all the time um, and, and, and share it, and I, I think about it a lot, which is teaching is time-bound, situational, and ever-changing. We as educators cannot keep teaching things the same way to different groups of students over different periods of time and expecting the same results. I think we understand that a little bit better now, that <laughs> we're all teaching in a pre-post current COVID situation where we realize a lot of the ways that we've taught in the past really is not going to help set our students up for success now. We've done, especially over the last year or so, had to completely rethink our structure of how our, how our classroom works, how we're able to cover these concepts, what concepts we're covering in which order, how long we're taking them. Are we doing that in an online setting? Are we doing that in a virtual setting? Are we doing that in a hybrid setting? Are we doing it in person? We've had to do a lot of thinking to understand how we can adapt our instruction to best serve the needs of our students. And that is where data comes in. Data does not need to be this big, scary, big, bad wolf that we are afraid of because it's something we do on our ippy dippy or it's part of an SLO or it's part of our assessment or, or it's part of our, our teacher evaluation. Data is something that we should use every single day to guide our instructions. It's like driving, going on a road trip and having a GPS. Like, yeah, you could take a map, but having a GPS is going to allow you to reroute. So when you, if you take a wrong turn, it knows where you are. It can help you get back to going. If all we have are those maps, if all we have are our concept maps, and we're just driving ahead, we won't be able to know if our students are, are there with there with or there with us or not. We won't be able to recalculate as the the students show us what they need more of and what they're ready for more of. And that is where I think assessment is something that we need to rethink as educators. We need to think the way, rethink the way that we use it, the way that we record it, and the way that we share it with students and allow students to be part of that process. And it's not going to be one of those things that we're able to finish. It's, I think it's going to be one of those things that we do for the rest of our careers. You know, we're never going to find the, the perfect solution or, you know, we're not going to be able to have a perfectly done map. It's always going to be recalculating as our instructions going forward, as our students are showing us what they need, are telling us what they need, and as we as teachers are taking that information through our lens of pedagogical, pedagogical content knowledge and taking it to the next step so our students can be successful. If you found this episode helpful at all, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Not only does this help me understand what you find most helpful, it also helps more music educators just like you find the podcast. To check out the show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash show notes.